This is The Shift Podcast. Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, why aren't Canadians working? Or why are they jumping from job to job? Employers are struggling to find workers. Many Canadians are hesitant to return to work. And some of them are going back to a different job, not the one they were at before. How does it all come together? Well, we've got the uh, counselor and founder of Career Joy, Alan Kearns, shares his thoughts and obstacles Canadians and businesses are going through as the pandemic winds down and maybe a different back to work pandemic begins. Also, Handy Andy Berard discusses with us Amazon reviews and how Amazon's tracking down negative reviewers. Plus, are you okay with inheritances? Lots of money, bridges, and so much more. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. Like it, share it with your friends, pass it on. Psst, pass it on. That'd be wicked. Um, it's on CuriousCast.ca and it's the Shift.ca if you want to go on and uh, check out. Well, we've shared this conversation a few times here on the Shift. Do you even like your job? Now that COVID is sort of unfolding, I've said it many times, I believe it's the tip of the iceberg of people starting to quit. I think it'll get uh, worse or better, depends on your perspective, as the next six months of reopening in the offices. It seems to me like September is the magic date for some offices starting to at least reconsider or partially reopen. I mean, we had a conversation here. Do we want to go back to the studio and when? I mean, I don't know. I like the 11-step commute. But isn't that one of the things that many people are starting to look at? Huh, do I even like driving to work? So joining me now is Alan Kearns with CareerJoy to have that conversation. The big quit. Alan, is it on? Yeah, absolutely. I always say COVID was the big revealer. It revealed what was working in your life and wasn't, and what wasn't working in your life, both personally, relationships, health, uh, and work. That uh, for many people, it was an opportunity to see what they thought about their work, did they enjoy it? Um, I was remember speaking with a person that worked for a, a company that very early, very early on declared itself as digital first. And, um, and this person realizing after working from home for six months that she really didn't want to work digitally first, that part of what she loved about her organization was the fact that, you know, they, they had meetings and they had food taken care of. And, and all of a sudden now she was just stripped back to this is what the job is without all the ancillary types of things. And it awakened her to the reality. I don't really enjoy this work. I enjoyed the culture I was in and the people, but the actual work itself is not really what I want to do. So it's. So you're seeing that reality of people being awakened by COVID. And the other thing is you're seeing uh, on the leadership side. So we work coast to coast to coast with organizations. Uh, we have over 23 organizations, 2,300 organizations we work with in public sector, private sector, not-for-profits, healthcare, uh, manufacturing, all kinds of – so we see a full spectrum of this. And um, and the other thing you're seeing is the, is the conflict between the modernists and the traditionalists. Isn't it, um, isn't it amazing when you see – uh, that perspective and how it's changed, right? Like you, I always say that we didn't even like our jobs anyway. Why, what are we missing in COVID that that's really is such a big deal? We, I mean, most of us complained about our jobs to begin with. And I always look at salespeople. There's an awful lot of people, oh, I'm in sales. Really, you're in beers after two o'clock with some friends downtown in the sunshine in the summertime. And once you take that away, the social aspect of your sales job, it's very possible that you don't even like sales at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when you strip it down to this is actually what the core of the job is. Um, so 52% of Canadians don't uh, don't have an alignment between their work and themselves. Gallup, I, I think it's the most uh, socioeconomic um, issue we have as a culture is the, the, the misfit between um, people and organizations and role, the belonging piece of do I belong in that role, do I belong in that organization? Um, and it has huge impacts. It has impacts on health, relationships, finances, uh, on addiction, mental wellness, a lot of these things. And so um, so what is happening is is also you're seeing now the traditionalists, the modernist leaders, leaders, you're seeing organizations that are that are traditionalists trying to bring everyone back in-house. I, I, you know, for eight, 16 months, 18 months now, a lot of people have been working anywhere, anytime, and it's seemingly doing good work many ways. Like, and now we're saying to them, well, they need to come back in the office. Well, why do they need to come back in the office? Well, because th- that leader is a traditionalist. They come back to, okay, let's make sure that everyone's, you know, the most amount of people I have in my meetings means I'm important. And when I'm important, it means I have a bigger budget. When I have a bigger budget, it means I get promoted, right? So the, the traditionalists and then the modernists are saying, how do we really lean into all of this good stuff that's come out of the last 18 months and enable some sort of a hybrid um, 
Center according to Deloitte research, about 70% of Canadians are looking for a hybrid. They're, they're looking to say, I'd want to be in the office, but I also want to I want to uh, work from 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 home or work from anywhere, and uh, and so that's the that's that's the modernness. So there's there's the awakening of the role itself, but then there's the also reality of a lot of people have been doing quite well in these kind of independent but collaborative environments we have, um, and uh, are now reconsidering what that impact is on their quality of life. So so to answer your original question, yes, we're heading into what I call a pandemic, a new pandemic, and the pandemic is called. Uh, the quit pandemic, you know, where there, and, and you better as an employer, if you want to keep, keep good people, you better be considering, and we're doing a lot of work around the return and recovery series with our clients, by the way, across the country, helping leaders to think about how do we protect what was good out of COVID and how do we help our, our uh, employees in recovery? We're thinking of a, a large organization in the, in, this, in the security sector in, in the West. And, uh, and they're, you know, again, thinking about how do we bring everyone back? What does that look like? A large real real estate national global firm thinking about how do we deal with this? How do we bring people back in the office? But, but how do we deal with that? And the other thing you're dealing with is just pragmatically people still, um, uh, as a good friend of mine, who's a doctor said on the way into COVID where it was, she was worried about the extroverts on the way out of COVID. She was worried about the introverts, right? The, the, right. The, the, the reality of all those changes. So, so the other thing is just the health aspect of that, that people are still amazingly, um, you know, still somewhat uh, concerned about COVID and being in an office environment, still not quite comfortable with that. So when you combine all of these things, it is probably the most complex um, uh, piece to our economy right now, because on, on COVID, crisis was a synchronizing moment. On the post-COVID, is it an asynchronizing moment? And therein lies the complexity. Well, it does. And it, it really does get to that point about... Um what what is the crossroads right does the employer need to raise the bar or is the employee just being lazy and looking for something that's more convenient now now of course if convenience is what you want in your job you're entitled to have that so that's not really a bad thing but at the same point is the employer do they need to pay more really or do they just need to tap into a different i don't want to say sector cuz that sounds too smart i just like to a different group of people it's possible that the types of people you've been putting in your business might not have been the best, but it was easier for you to hire them. Cause you see it all the time in industry, right? You have one group of person, a group of people and a whole bunch of other coworkers that either know them, they're friends of proximity or whatever, and it becomes easier. And so, I mean, who raises the bar here? Is it actually the employer's job to raise the bar or do they just need to dig differently? The answer would be yes. <laughs> I think yeah. it's it's both sides. I figured the answer is yes. That it's yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the answer is that employers are. I think because of the asynchronized money, this is why we're doing a lot of work with leaders across the country, helping you to think. This isn't just about coming back to the office. Everyone show up and let's get back on the horse again. It, it's not like that at all. So there is a, a raising a bar of like, what does it mean to lead now? We talked about earlier about the present, being in the present, right? Time. So what does it lead now to lead now? Because again, what I tend to find is people tend to, I knew that as a parent, I was like, my kids are nine and I'm still parenting and like they're seven at times. So I had to learn how to be in their time, right? So I think it's the same thing with, with this. You need to be in the moment. You need to be in this time, leading your organization in this time and your group in this time, not pre-COVID, not a month ago, not two months from now. Um, so I, I think there's organizational responsibility around that. And, and also, I do think there are people that, um, that organizations have to invite to raise their bar as far as their deliverables. So there has been, in many cases, an increase in deliverables for certain types of people, but there also has been a decrease in performance. Yeah. And so I think we're also hitting that where people are saying, you know what, during COVID, we were patient, we were understanding, we, we were recognizing people were dealing with home issues and parenting and children. And so now they're dealing with the reality, okay, but we're running a business here. Like, like I always say to clients, the F word is a terrible word in at work. What's the F word? Not what you think it is. The family word. Mm -hmm. No, you're not running a family. It's not a family at the office. It's a, it's work. It's, it's organization. So, so when you're dealing with that reality, there's responsibility around being a part of a community and, and delivering, whether it's a not-for-profit public sector or private sector, um, you know, that, that good organizations need good people delivering good results and the, and the, and great organizations and great people doing great results and outstanding organizations need outstanding people doing outstanding results. And so I do think the visibility has shifted too. That's the other thing I would say is the ability to truly evaluate performance actually has become clearer 
mm-hmm. in this environment that you, it, you can't sort of hide in meetings as much anymore. Like your deliverables are actually more tangible or more visible. And so oh. I think that's the other thing that shifted in the, the way that we're going to lead, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Well, there's, uh, yeah. there's some people that have always said to me, and it's, I've always got a kick out of it is if you ever want to look busy in the office, just carry paper everywhere you go. And yeah. you, you can't do that in today's world because nobody can see you carrying the paper as you go out for your next cigarette or, or your 15th cup of coffee or, or whatever it is. Yeah. If you're going to a lunch meeting, take a file folder because then when people see you yeah. leave with a file folder, they're going to think that your lunch meeting is important, right? As opposed to your buddy Bob and you're talking about volleyball practice. So um, it is remarkable. When we look at our, our, you know, our people, you know, here on the shift, we call ourselves a community. So the community of the the this these people at nighttime, I know that there's been an awful lot of uh, our nighttime community here that has really looked at this from the perspective of, okay, uh, I I don't have to deal with people through COVID because it's nighttime, right? There's not as many people around, so that has been one of the beneficial things. Working at nighttime is not easy, so some people might have come into nighttime and say this isn't for me or this is for me. So how do we identify as the switch it from the employer to the employee? How do we identify? Are we living, do we like convenience of our job? And maybe that's our fit. Are we inspired by our job? And is that it? Or is it time for us to reevaluate? And are we frankly just mailing it in and don't care? And we're not doing ourselves any benefit anyway. Is there any way that we can look at that and offer that to uh, the worker, if you will? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I always say, you know, our industry is, 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 is a lot do what you love and money will follow and i simply don't buy into that by the way um but I, there are a lot of variables that determine what is is good work so i think of example my i have two cousins that work at chrysler one works uh driving trucks where the other person is on the line right and i think of the way their careers have evolved and one person has just become super fulfilled in that role. And another person is seen as a lifestyle job. And, and that person, the one that's fulfilled, has climbed the ranks and now represents a union at a very, very senior level and has really dug into the professional growth side of it. And the other person has said, you know what? I get to work my 40 hours a week. I, I make good money. Uh, I get to see my kids play hockey. I've got a great pension. It's a great lifestyle job. And I accept it. And I, I appreciate it. And so I think you've got to think about what it is you like about your work and what are you willing to find as a trade? And I call that the fair trade principle. And, you know, each one of us, you know, you have a different fair trade than I do at work. What is it? What I want wanting to work is not the same as what you want. And I think you have to accept that. And I find when people, one, either don't identify or two, fight it, they try to make a job that's honestly like driving a truck at a, you know, is what it is. It's not going to be more complex than what it is. It isn't neurosurgery, right? Mm-hmm. It's extremely valued to our society, but it isn't that, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you have somebody who says, you know what, it is what it is. I like it. I, I, you know, my son's an airline pilot. That's a very complex job. But then it, when he's finished it, he just walks out the door and he leaves it. He, you know, you yeah. get an executive salary. It's, it's, so it's very different than the executive job, but it's, you know, so, so these kinds of things you have to say, what it is that I want what am I trading for? And can I come to acceptance in that? And if I can't accept it, then what am I willing to take responsibility for and change? What's it? What's within my power to change? What's within a timeline that I could change? Or what is just really that I'm going to have to accept this? I mean, at the end of the day, our quality of our health, our quality of the, of the people we love, and our quality of our work essentially determine our quality of life. So I think work is a really important thing. But I also understand that people's lives are complex. Their objectives are complex. And the navigation and the threading those things is is, um, is not always easy. And so I have real empathy for, for Sarinder. She says, no, no, just do what you love and the money will fall. It isn't that simple. It really isn't. Um, there's a lot of moving parts to that statement. I believe you should pursue your your potential, I also realize that there are people in many, many different circumstances in which they're doing the best they can and they're making the fairest trade they can and they come to accept that and they really are doing well, all things considered. And yet there are others who are saying, no, I'm willing to make these decisions. I'm going to go to do my MBA part-time while I'm, you know, I'm going to sleep less during the day and do my MBA and next thing you know, they're, they're the next, you know, plant manager or the next, you know, Amazon warehouse director because they've taken that opportunity and and then that and that's okay too so i don't it's not a judgmental statement it's just recognize the complexity of those yeah, I get that. on the same time recognizing the opportunity that is always before us and i grew up in an immigrant family it's one of the beautiful gifts of that i always say my dad said canada is wasted on canadians you would often say mm-hmm. because canada is this incredible country and 
you know, 82% of people who become millionaires in Canada are new immigrants or new Canadians. And it's because they come here and they seize the opportunity and they see the opportunity and are willing to work at it. But all situations are complex. So I, I think that's the reality. Well, complacency is a big problem. We can translate that conversation into politics. We can translate it into business. We can translate it into our relationships. Correct. It's the exact same conversation, no matter Correct. which perspective we take. So I think you're bang on with that. Um, it's a, it, this is amazing. And, I, and I, what I hear from, from this is I would just sort of like to break it down is, is, you know, if you're driving a truck or a delivery person at nighttime or doing security or whatever it is, you know, you can't get into truck driving if you're not willing to um, be very safety aware, right? I mean, you, you yeah. might, if, if you want to be around your family every day, truck driving is probably not for you or airline pilot and those kinds of things. And if following safety rules is not your thing, then truck driving's not your thing. But if you like to have- And not being a pilot either. (laughs) Right, absolutely. But if you're going to, um, if you're going to live it and be able to put it away at the end of the day and go home when you're done your trips and be invested in your family, whether you're a Monday to Friday or, or owner operator type scenario, you get yourself into the, I'm going to leave it now. And now I'm going to go live my life. And that could be worth it for you. If you can handle the safety issues with bad drivers and winter driving and all the other things, the stresses that come with it. So I, what I hear in what you're saying is the there's no diminishment between being the executive or and the driver and the pilot and the doctor and the, the the cleaning person or the retail person, there's no diminishment there. It's just is this working for you the way you need it to work for you? And you you might not get it right on the first try. And yeah, and I don't think you. I don't. I think the other thing as I say, it's a complex question, and we tend to dumb it down to what you love or what color are you or what's your four-letter Myers-Briggs acronym and then it's all going to be simple and I realize you know these choices are complex mm-hmm. and, and that you know all roles have value but they're not always compensated the same and, all, and we, that's part of accepting saying no you can't in a way fight that what you can do is lean into your best and your best scenario and make the best out of it or leverage that into something better and that and, and it could be in seasons of your life too that's the other thing I say to clients it's a it, it can be trajectory or, or it can be very outcome driven. And so it can be just, it's a season in your life. And once the kids are grown up and you say, you know what, I'm going to go back to school or whatever it might be that you, you're you aspiring to do or start a business or take more risk or, or, um, or take on something different. So I think it's just figuring out in that Rubik's cube, because again, I think we dumb it down when it, when the work is a complex and we are complex and then, and the meeting of those things, um, there's a, there, the more thoughtful we can be about that, and the more honest we can be with ourselves about the opportunities and the challenges, the better the outcomes are going to be for us. And I still inherently believe that we have in control, but we have to understand what we have choice and control mm-hmm. over. I like that. It, it really breaks down to commitment, dedication, presence, and all those pieces really do matter no matter what job you're doing. I was always told, look, you're only as good on the radio as the last conversation you just had. So that's it. So uh, you hear those stories about people mailing it in on their last day and something going yeah. wrong. So uh, this is a remarkable conversation. Alan Kearns is with uh, Career Joy. Uh, the big, the big departure, the big exit, the big quit, the whatever you want to call it. You know, take a little look at it. I think it's uh, something that you dig into and and spend some time. If you're thinking that it's it's might be time for the change, then that's exciting. But at the same time, make sure that you're making it for the right reasons and spend a little time, surround yourself with people you love and conversation and 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 dig into it. And I did like what you said as we uh, finish up here, Alan, when you said, uh, do what you love and the money will follow is not really being a solution. I agree with you. I would add this. I would change one word and I would say, share what you love and the money will follow regardless of your career. Yeah. And that is so true. Um, yeah. Thank you so much yeah, for the time. You're welcome. Yeah. And the other comment I would say too is, we are a consumption society, and so I think we've made work into consumption, and I think it's where kind of contribute is really the, the, the deeper and broader and really important question. And again, not everyone has to be a neurosurgeon or whatever. That our contribution is valuable. You know, coast, you know, all types of contribution, I believe, are value, but all contribution are equally valued, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's true. The pieces of the puzzle, man takes all of us. Uh, thank you very much yeah. for the insight. I look forward to digging into this more because I know that uh, in this community, there's an awful lot of people that are doing interim jobs or have done it for a long time and might consider that it's, I don't think it's uh, unique to this community, but it is very relevant to this community and I love it. So thank you so much for sharing the insight. Thank you. This is The Shift Podcast.
in New Music Monday, we have to throw back to disco for one reason only. Hit it there, Leo. Oh. Because Disco Andy is here. Handy Andy Barrar is here on the shift. Hey, Andy. How are you, buddy? Where, where can I get a pair of bell bottoms? You know, I feel like if you're going to keep calling me Disco Andy, I got to get myself yep. some disco attire, you know? You do. You have to um, You have to get your hustle moving on. I, I would suggest that since you're such a DIY guy, maybe you should uh, make some. Oh, that's fabric. That's a whole different thing, you know. I'm more of like a... <laughs> fabric. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That, I don't know if I could DIY, DIY like, uh, you know, big pants. That's going to be a tough one. Come right? on. I think you can do it. Um, HandyAndyMedia.com is how you can follow along to Andy. He's also got videos up on the YouTubes, so you can see the things that he gets up to. Uh, it's been a week. Uh, how are your blueberries? Still dead? Blueberries are still dead. However, and we'll talk about this uh, next week, my little irrigation project where I was trying mm -hmm. to move. Basically, like most houses have an outdoor you know, water tap, what they call it a spigot. Well, I was able to take mine, split it four ways, and then run another line to the other side of my house and put a new water spigot. I'm going to put a video on how I did it. Shade, it was so painful, like <laughs> leaks. I'm just telling you, like, you know, you, you, you build this system, you got elbows everywhere, and then you turn it on, and there's just leaks at every single elbow. So yeah. I did every, I did like red green style where I was like putting duct tape on the elbow and then putting the tubing on uh, that even didn't work plumber's <laughs> it, tape what, buddy it's magical well, you know you know what worked it was just more clamps a whole lot of clamps so i was just clamping right. these hoses and um i got it working no leaks so so i'll make a, After, we'll, we'll talk um, about that next week I'll, I'll i'll make a video for it well, I do look forward to that. Catherine does text in and reminds you of thrift stores are a great place to go shopping. So you should start there. Uh, being away last week with uh, my vacation, my pineapples did survive. My flowers were pretty wilted because it was about five days of hot with no water, right? So I didn't, um, I forgot to get someone to help out with the, um, with the, with watering my flowers. So, but everything managed to make it. We'll see if it survives another, another, uh, turn here. Uh, but I do look forward to seeing your videos about the irrigation stuff. Um, and I also look forward to seeing your, your duct tape solutions. Let's dig into Andy here. Let's dig into, um, shopping online. I was, um, because you do like the DIY, you do like the reviews. And I first received my, my, um, what do you call it? My bribe gift card from one company on Amazon to leave a positive review, send us a screen capture to this other website that's not Amazon's, because uh, you can't do that on Amazon. And uh, and then, by the way, we'll send you a gift card. And they did. They made good on it. They sent me like a $10. I only bought like a $7 thing, but they sent me a $10 Amazon credit to go shopping. And they did it. But the bribe was, is leave us a positive review. Now, it was a decent product. I It worked. So I left them a positive review and took my gift card. They're not allowed to do that, are they? No. And what they also did by that, I, I did a little deep dive into this, Shane, and because I see this all the time when I buy these products where they're going to give you a discount or a free product um, with this little card. They're not allowed to do that. And what they're doing is they're also trying to get your email address because the way that it works with Amazon is that you have yourself, the buyer, and then you have the seller, and then you have Amazon in the middle. Amazon doesn't let the seller get your email address and your personal information. They do mm -hmm. have this, this chat area where you can you know, discuss stuff with each other, but they don't share that information. But what happens, and this is what I found very fascinating, if somebody leaves a bad review, those sellers will try to find that person and entice them to take that review down, to, to delete it, essentially. So mm. they'll contact, you know, these, these people that left those reviews. What's interesting is they're contacting them by email, even though Amazon didn't give them the email. So the question is, how did you get my email? And right. what they're doing is those cards is one of them. Mm -hmm. But they're also now, there's these third-party companies, Shane, that will... If you have a negative review, you could hire this company. They'll find out who that person is by just scouring the internet because a lot of time on Amazon, you use your real name or your initials 
and they have your address. And so they can figure out your email address and then provide that to the seller. And then the seller will start harassing you nonstop. Take that review down. We'll give you this. We'll give you that. Um, but then they're also getting your email address and doing everything that's against the terms of services that Amazon has set up. Now, if you do it against the terms of service, they shut you down. But if they do it, it's hard to police, isn't it? Yes. And a lot of these companies, what's happening is if they get caught, apparently this is widespread. Like this is a huge problem that Amazon has right now is these fake reviews or review, negative reviews being taken off because this company is is like harassing essentially the people that left them. But the, the, the big issue right now is those companies, if Amazon takes them off and says you're in violation, they just start up again because yeah, they have all this inventory. They just create a new company and then just start. So it's like a game of whack-a-mole. But it just goes to show that this whole review system, this checks and balance system that Amazon had developed, we've seen it with with other apps like, you know, rating hotels and food services. Yelp and stuff, yeah. Everything. It's so flawed. The people are finding ways to to get around it. You're the one, Shane, that told me that this happens on Airbnb as well. I had no idea yep. that hosts were doing that um, when when their place wasn't getting booked. I, You know, it's like everywhere I see are there's these just fake reviews. And as consumers, especially as we're all now shopping online, this is not helping us making good purchasing decisions. We're, nope. we're going to end up buying crappy stuff because of these bad reviews. Well, isn't it, um, isn't it so true that we've been told many times, like, nobody cares what you think? And isn't that the case where you nobody really cares what you think? <laughs> like, it really is the case. And nobody should care what you think because I always go from this way. Fanaticism is always a problem. Right. If you love it, love it, like, oh, my God, it was mind blowing. That's probably not a normal response. And if you go the other way, we're like, this was the worst experience of my life. It's probably not a normal response. The review you want to get is like, yeah, you know, I paid 20 bucks. I thought it was worth 20 bucks. It was decent. Probably don't need to go again, but I enjoyed it. Right. Like, that's probably a review where you can go, hey, that sounds like a burger that I, I'm hungry. So I'll eat that burger. Right. Like, um, but I might not drive across town to get to that burger. That sounds realistic to me. Yes. And those are the kind of reviews you have to look for. Like, you know what I was thinking, Shane? I don't think I've ever left a review on Amazon. Do you leave reviews of products? I don't always, but I, uh, if I do like the service and I like the product, I, I have. Uh, I did the one where I took the bribe because I did like the product. Um, and I... Yeah, I've left a couple when I've really liked it, when I don't like it or whatever. Like I had one that came. I ordered a uh, like a whiskey, uh, not decanter, but carafe, and uh, it arrived broken. And the box it was in was perfectly intact. Oh, so it wow. was in its own box, perfectly intact, broken inside. And the Amazon box was perfectly intact that it, that, that box was in. So my my assumption is is that it was actually shipped broken, and as soon as you picked it up, it was you know it was clingy clingy clang 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 right. So because there was no damage to the box, like literally no damage, I would imagine that for a box to fall perfectly, that either it was packed poorly or was broken when it was sent. And so I did leave that review saying, "How did you like the product? I didn't get a chance to use it because it arrived broken and the box was intact. I'm suspicious that it was actually shipped broken because I wanted to talk about." the integrity of that particular seller. But another thing to your point, though, is that an awful lot of those sellers actually have multiples of stores anyway. It's the same inventory that they're, they could have 10 different stores where they're doing some A-B testing. One is like the de-branded, you know, like Steve's junk warehouse. And the other one is like super fancy with images. And it's all coming from the same place. And you know what the big giveaway is? They use the same pictures. And you're like, wait yeah, a minute. Do. I just saw this on, with this other brand. They use the exact same pictures. So and Different prices too, by the way. And different prices. I had the same thing. I bought one of these hobby greenhouses, um, you know, that you can kind of build yourself. They come in a kit. And I was like, wow, so much different prices, but they're all using the exact same picture. And it was pretty much the same product. And like you said, same company. They're just using different types of names of companies and just throwing it on Amazon. So it's really just a crowded way. And it's funny because we're just all gravitating towards buying online. But the whole system just seems really flawed and I can't really figure out how to fix it, you know, other than 
it's just that whack-a-mole game. Amazon's just too big. I don't know how they're going to be able to police this this problem, but it just seems so widespread, and it's not slowing down at all. It's not. Um, I, I'm going to take a little side note. Can you stay after the break here? Because I would like to do your um, whistling thing. Can you stay for a couple extra minutes yes, today? Yes, of course. Absolutely. Okay. So we'll save that. So um, so let's go with this. Amazon is stealing advertisers now because I've got a new phone. So all of my apps were reloaded and it prompts me all the time now. Do you want to share your your tracking information, which I say no to? What is the impact of that? Because that affects Amazon well, too. That's huge. So that, that little software feature that uh, Apple has introduced on iPhones, it rolled out originally in June. It's going to go big on the new software, uh, iOS software update in September. But and I believe it's going to prompt everything, right, when it goes everything. with the new update. Yeah. Basically, you're going to get a privacy report card to see what apps, how they're you know, using your information, your privacy. And Facebook is about to get hammered badly because what people are going to realize is just how much Facebook is tracking our behavior. And they're using that data then to sell to the advertisers. And so far it's worked, except now that Apple is going to, you know, put this on. Facebook's freaking out. And here comes Amazon on the sidelines, who is just kind of getting into the digital ad space. You know, they're way behind Mm -hmm. Google and Facebook, but they're looking at this and they are just, you know, licking their lips because now their ad business is going to increase a lot as brands leave Facebook because those ads aren't returning the same type of clicks and, you know, people aren't buying it as much. So now they're going to Facebook and we're talking about brand chain that don't even want to be on Amazon, but now they're putting a presence on Amazon because they don't want to lose that connection to the customer, but they Mm -hmm. realize that the brand exposure you get of being on Amazon makes sense. And that's why Facebook's going to lose a lot of money and Amazon is going to increase their digital ad sales and more and more brands will be spending money on Amazon ads, not just, you know, getting their products on the marketplace. Yeah, the sponsored ones are there, too. Uh, there was one thing that is worth noting. Plugging your store into Facebook, if you've got, you know, an e-commerce store or website, is free. And you can, because then you use the the ad pixels to sell your stuff. And then if you use a pixel, then you pay with the pixels and, and so on and so forth. This is tracking. You know, if you subscribe to a store and you get the email, but the email comes, there's no pictures, but then you click um, show pictures. When you show those pictures, there's a pixel embedded in there that shows them that you've opened it. It shows them yes. that you've received it. That's when all the information is exchanged, when you show the pictures. So Facebook, it's free to plug your store into. Amazon, you pay. You actually have to pay. If you have an online store and you want to distribute on Amazon, you pay a monthly fee just to put it there. So that's going to create... um, That's interesting to me that all these people that get access to free stores now are willing to pay in order to be able to get a piece of the Amazon action. That's curious. Yeah, I I really... like. If you look at Facebook right now internally, they're very, very worried about this. And Apple is doing just a fantastic job on the privacy front, giving the privacy back to the consumer, making it very easy. I got to give Apple a lot of credit. You know, I haven't used an iPhone in years, but the way that they're going, I'm like, you know, it's starting to look good because you're not seeing that same type of privacy checks on the Android side. So Apple's done a really good um, strategic plan on differentiating themselves by, you know, making privacy a priority on their devices. Uh, Disco Andy. Handy Andy Barrar, not only is he a, uh, not only is he handy and does he uh, make leaky watering systems, uh, but he also, he also whistles. Listen carefully, please. I love it. You know what I love the best about this video, though? What? Is your eyebrows. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so that's you with a whistling competition entry that you did on your uh, Handy Andy um, DIY Tech Guy Media on YouTube. So there's, you know, you can find that very easily. Just search Handy Andy Barrar and uh, whistling. So tell us what, what's going on because there's some news around all this. What do we do? Uh, yeah. So, 
So there's a show in Canada called Canada's Got Talent. Yep. Well, I guess one of the producers had saw that video and slid into my DM and was like, hey, that was a great job. So you got into the beginning. It gets really crazy at the end because when I competed at the World Whistling Championship, uh, you know, pre-COVID in L.A., you know, I got like the world champion whistlers all in one room. And what I noticed was they have a hard time holding notes, holding mm-hmm. notes. So that's why I picked lately because at the end, you're just holding notes. And I, w- I did that to try to impress the judges, but uh, I don't think it was enough. So whistling yeah. competition, that makes sense. So what, what what can the shift heads do for you here in regards to this this other show, which is on well, another network, by the way? So. It, <laughs> don't oh, watch it. I have never been... I've never so watched the show. Well, I've never watched the show before, <laughs> so I don't know much about it except what it's called. Canada's Got Talent. Uh, what I need is a song, so I have to do like some kind of a performance. And then I had this like epiphany, uh, Shane. Why don't mm-hmm. I try the most impossible thing: jump rope and whistle at the same time? I don't know if they'll let oh, me try funny. that, but um, I might die. But uh, I think that that would be uh, something that there would seems be very like there's impressive. a yeah there's a couple of physiological things that need to happen there. I would, it seems like to me like um, breathing would be a problem with jump rope is important uh, and the jumping the, up and down part. So I was I at the a, gym the other day and I was like, you. Uh, "Oh really? I do." What's, if you really want to get the gold medal here, if you really want to win, I say you go double or nothing and try to whistle through the fire and the flames by Dragon Force while jump jump roping. I think that's what you try to do. Wow. If you can do that, you win. You'll you'll never lose again. I was I was at the gym the other day because I was like, okay, I got to start practicing jump rope and whistling. So I was whistling like the the Rocky theme song, and everybody was just kind of like looking at me like I was some kind of crazy person. Like, why is that's this funny. guy whistling? Like, can't he just listen to music and jump rope? But um, okay, song you know, suggestions eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. What should Andy whistle? Okay, so here's what you have to do. On uh, Canada's Got Talent, you got to do something. The whistling itself is great. You got to do something that's going to uh, cut through and be connective to the young audience that's going to be voting. So, um, because my parents watch this, and then young people, you know, watch all the clips. So I, you know, you got to like I don't know. You go after a theme and go after some of the uh, Canadian artists or something that are out there with pop songs. I don't know. Then you got to go after like some mega Canadian. Sorry, I just got distracted by your eyebrows. Um, the uh, you, you got to go after some like iconic Canadian songs, right? Like that would be fun to me. Oh, yeah, that's a nice uh, note there. I don't know that's if you can high, hear it, Nancy. I'm getting up high yeah. over here. But love songs work, like, uh, but you could go totally nostalgic, right? Like some people do, like Frank Sinatra when they sing songs, they go way, way back to the nostalgic romanticism. You could do. I that. was thinking, um, I was thinking Beach Boys. They got some good, good tunes, mm-hmm. very melodic Ooh, tunes. Good idea. I yeah. recommend doing uh, good vibrations because yes. there's so many layers to that song. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there's a version, Brian Wilson's original version. There's a cut that wasn't on the single where they all hum in this amazing like orchestra before the last end and if do that version man oof the whistling i, I see it yeah I I, i'm it. definitely not gonna do a sad song again because after i did that that lately by stevie wonder by the time i finished the whistle i'm like depressed like i just think yeah. it's like poor stevie you know like he had it's true some, some lady cheated on him and i felt so bad for him but yeah so i'm thinking happy song uh, I got to watch the show because now Shane's thing got me thinking. It's got to go viral. I got to make like viral well, clips. Patience, Guns and Roses comes in from Trucker Kevin. Um, Whistle Inagata Davida by Iron Butterfly while jumping rope and juggling chainsaws <laughs> from Derek. Um, Walking on Sunshine from Catherine. Oh, that's you know, there's bad. some stuff here. But I think yeah. you can get into some of the cool stuff. Like there's some of the Uncle Crab, like Joby Gray, Drift Away. Like you can get into some of those super familiar things. I think that'd be all right. This is fun. All right. The the thing is, the song has to be like melodic, so something that you could probably play with the flute, because I'm just basically turning my mouth into a human flute. Right, and it has um, to be familiar because if they're going to vote for it, they have to. It has to hit them, and they right. have to be able to go. I love that song. Yeah, I think I need to like go to karaoke bars and just like hang Ooh, out. Oh, that's there a great and do some idea. Research and see hey? what people are singing. Yeah, and- D Light Grooves in the Heart. 
<laughs> Something like that. That'd be a good one. The best karaoke songs ever. That'd be good. Well, this is amazing. Andy, good luck. Uh, keep us up to date with how this rolls out. And, uh, and I've got this link here. If you want to have the link of Andy, who is whistling, um, I will text it back to you for the YouTube for you to watch later uh, for everybody else who's here. So absolutely. Um, thanks, buddy. Appreciate you being here. My pleasure. I'll see you next week. Yeah, next week for more DIY. And um... <laughs> sorry, I had to. Maybe you should do disco, Andy. Disco Maybe. Whistler. Maybe. I got to go look at the disco playlist see if I can find right? a whistle. I love it. Now we're going to listen to this for one second. Now why not? This was a fantastic disco song that was very underrated, I think, in my opinion. Try Uptown Funk. It's hard to whistle, Greg says. See? (laughs) See, there it is. All right, Andy. Thanks, brother. Great to see you. Okay. Talk to you soon. This is The Shift Podcast. Here on The Shift, it is time for us to dig into Are You Okay? Are you okay with inheritance? Um, well, my dad works in for Jiffy Lube, and mm-hmm. I have expressed interest in buying an electric car one day, and he has looked at me and mm. said, you know that might not reflect well in your inheritance uh, so, <laughs> which is very, uh, Hey, I, I don't judge it. It's, your it's dad good, is a very good. smart man, except for his taste in y- accents. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. There's a bit of a throwback. I, I think as a <laughs> Quebecois himself, he was rightful in your interesting take on that accent. Uh, oh, you know, I would say for the most part, inheritances are, are a important way to leave something behind uh, my grandpa, when he passed, he left me a painting of Maurice Richard, Rocket Richard, that's autographed by him. Uh, and yeah, it's one of the mo- one of my most prized possessions, it's better, better than any money he could have ever given me. So, yeah. Hmm. All right. So inheritance are good when it's free money um, and you respect the family business. That's what I which is fantastic. I mean, hey, why not? Right? Inheritances are important. Uh, what is life if you can't leave that to the family and be able to um, be able to share all your hard work when when you're gone? Right? That's kind of cool. So, before we get into this story further, here's a question: Have you ever heard of a man named Richard Robinson? No. 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 Dick Robinson. No. Ricky Robinson. No. Rich that Robinson. Sounds like someone. From- that sounds like a like a rock artist Will from the sixties. Oh, I was gonna say that sounds like a Will Ferrell character. That's true. Okay. Actually. Wow. So you've probably heard of his company though, Scholastic. You ever read a book when you were a kid in school from Scholastic? Well, that yeah. is Richard Robinson. That's his jam. Uh, here are a few of the books published under Scholastic: Harry Potter, The Hunger Games, Captain Underpants, nice. Clifford the Big Red Dog, for example. And there is a nondescript clip here that we will now play. Every great book brings forth an emotional response, a sense of identity, a sense that I could be that person or that character, even if that person is in the form of an animal or a dragon uh, or a knight or someone very different from who you are. Wonderful. Isn't that poetic? Sounds pretty good. Yeah, I like it. Richard Robinson, who is one of the son of the corporation's founders, served as CEO since the 70s. Last month, he passed away at the age of 84. This is a big family. The It's a, it's a big uh, business. He has a massive inheritance. $1.2 billion. $1.2 billion with the B dollars. And he left it all to a woman in Toronto he reportedly had a romance with all of it all of it oh in robinson's will signed in 2018 he described um this this woman luches as my partner and closest friend according to reporters jeffrey a trachtenberg and shalini ramachandran who reviewed the will robinson and luches have been in a long-term romantic relationship that many thought had ended and this is a report from the wall street journal 
Robinson's youngest son, Maurice Robinson, told the reporters his father's decision was unexpected and shocking, while his eldest, John Benham, Ben Robinson, 34, described the estate and succession as a salt in an open wound. You might think from the will, he said, that he didn't see his sons, but that's not true. For the last two years, I saw him multiple times a week. <laughs> Reese is quoted as saying, i.e., I'm going to see Dad, so I'm in the will. According hey, to yeah. the National Post... Luchessa worked at Scholastic for 30 years after her start at the company's Canadian Book Club. In Toronto, she rose to head of the Canadian Division's publishing and marketing group before moving to Scholastic's head office in New York, according to her corporate biography. So he left a billion dollars to his lover, what's been reported as his lover, and nothing to the children. And what if, wow, like if you were banking on that, like, like, (laughs) <laughs> that's tough i feel this sounds like the plot of a movie i feel like i'm about to be sucked into like a murder mystery thing right like yeah. the, nothing for the family i mean cl- obviously nothing. there's something behind the scenes here obviously there's a reason he did this i don't it, it, do you think it's one of those things where he's just and eh, my kids can work for it or it's possible was there some crazy um, fallout and maybe he just thought no oh, my children are only here because they want money in my will it's possible his kids or, bought an electric car or maybe like a Kindle oh, yep. and didn't buy books anymore. <laughs> well, what, what if, uh, oh no, I lost my train of thought because you had a good joke. Hold on. Oh. It will return to me. <laughs> Brain waves activate. Oh no. Oh, okay. Oh, what uh, if he was wanting, this is, this is my theory. Okay. Okay. He ran Scholastic, the publishers of some of the best children's books of yeah, all time. Fantastic. Scholastic book fairs. Amazing. Yep. What if, he did this so that someone would write a book about it. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> Only if the uh, the person who writes that book has a uh, a magic wand and a flying dragon or something or a giant red dog. Mm-hmm. Thank that you would be interested. helpful, wouldn't it? Yep. Or put All in right, the Hunger cool. Games universe or something. Yeah, I love the Hunger Games. Do you want to talk about the Hunger Games? I love that. I hate the Hunger Games. Did you really? How can you hate the Hunger Games? Okay, two reasons. It's based off of a book called Battle Royale, right? Which is a Japanese book and movie that's very similar. And I like that one a little bit more. But the number one reason I hate the Hunger Games is because that that whole dystopian teen genre thing happened Mm. when I was a teenager. So everywhere I went... Everyone around me is like, did you read the Hunger Games? Did you read the Hunger Games? Did you watch the movie? Did you watch the movie? I don't. I read the first book and I watched the first movie. And that was it. I was like, ah, this isn't for me. And then people just, dude. Hunger you know, Games. the funniest thing about that. And can I be judgy for a second? Because, you know, I love you. Judge me. Yep. Judge it. Um, That is such a millennial thing to say. <laughs> is that I, yeah. there's something that happened to millennials that a millennial made all about a millennial. <laughs> like that. Yeah, that's so perfect. I Damn. love it. Damn. Maybe when you watch it, when you're not surrounded by um, by other teens, maybe you'll love it. Um, yeah. I Give say that lovingly and jokingly. I don't really judge. I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was pretty gory, actually. But I, I thought the, the premise about humanity was pretty wicked. All right. Uh, are you okay? Did I hurt your feelings? I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. No, I, you did not. Also, you might want to do the uh, the bridge one here. Okay. The bridge one. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, I know why. Because you have a crush on this reporter. So do I. You do too. Are you okay? Can we play that again? I do too. I totally do. Leo, can you play the bed again? Sorry, we were busy yakking. Are you okay with bridges? Bridges are cool. I like walking on them. Mm. I like looking at them. Mm. I've always wanted to Mm. drive. I don't know what it's called. The bridge that connects PEI and all of the maritime provinces that giant bridge i really want to go mm-hmm. on that one yeah yeah okay no. giant come on shift heads help me out it's got to be confe- not confederation it's like a. it is confederation bridge is it are you serious it is too yeah. <laughs> oh funny how yeah. about that there you go um okay uh there's a bridge in london that's uh, pretty famous mostly because it is like conditioned into our brains from when we're little uh it's famous and it's not the london bridge it's the tower bridge unfortunately the giant opening of the bridge is stuck 
and the internet is loving every minute of it. It does uh, reek a little bit of the uh, the boat in the Suez Canal. The bridge also allows boats to pass underneath because it raises the road for the boats to get underneath. Since 1976, the bridge's two arms, or bascules, I didn't know that, have been operated by engines powered by oil and electricity, replacing the original. Steam-powered ones dated back to the 19th century. My dream girl and Ryan's dream girl, Jeannie Mose from CNN, reports on the memes and much more. When London's Tower Bridge got stuck in the opposition, vehicular traffic came to a halt. But social media traffic jumped as posters made sarcastic suggestions. Have they tried WD-40? And created Godzilla memes. I think I see the problem here, Tower Bridge. The much-documented Tower Bridge lift occurs about 800 times a year. The buttons are pushed. Stand by, Bruce Crew. About to stop road traffic. The joystick is pulled. On Monday, it was to let a wooden tall ship called the Tenacious pass. But the bridge itself became tenacious when it was time to lower the roadway. The famous landmark had to endure puns. Tower Bridge just seemed a bit stuck up. <laughs> I like that. Jeannie yeah, uh, Mose is one of the best reporters ever, in my opinion. Yeah. And I love it. I love her voice. I love how she does it. I love her storytelling. And so every opportunity we get to play it, um, I love it. I think she's fantastic. She's one of the few people that I would love to meet in U.S. media. It was the second time in a year that a bridge got stuck in August 2020. It was closed for 24 hours when they uh, jammed in the open position as well. Thank you, Jeannie. I have Jeannie. breaking news. Oh, what's that? The bridge mm-hmm. is down again. Oh, it, good. It is working now. Just That's less exciting. than an hour ago. The bridge is yeah. now fine. But the memes will last forever. <laughs> the memes will last forever. That's Are You Okay? Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.